All right, are you pumped? Are you ready? Are you ready to go shepherd some kids' hearts? All right. Well, hey, we just want to say uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, just want to point out before we go any further, uh, just that last weekend Bob Russell was here from uh, Louisville, Kentucky, did a great, great job, preached two different messages in both services. So if you didn't know that, be sure to get online and check out those messages. They're really, really good. We got some really, really positive feedback on that this week. We're beginning just a, a short two-week series uh, today and, and next week on Father's Day about uh, parenting. And what got me thinking about this, I was listening to some podcasts uh, with Family Life Today with Dennis Rainey uh, about two months ago, and um, there were, they had a special guest on their show. Her name was Jen Wilkin, and uh, just, just great, great thoughts on parenting. And so some of my thoughts and even some of the bullet points uh, in the sermon this week and next week will come from that podcast, so I just want to give credit where credit is due. Just from a show of hands this morning, though, how many of you, uh, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, how many of you hope that all of the children in your family would someday become a Christian and give their heart and their life to Jesus? Anybody here this morning, is that your hope? And Okay, almost everybody, just like first service. I kind of figured that. You know, the goal of every Christian parent, I think, is that their child or their children would grow to know and to love and to serve the Lord with all that they are. That ultimately, we know that their eternal destination depends on it. And what we mean when we say Christian parent is a parent that's really fully devoted, as the song we sang earlier, fully devoted, lifelong follower of Jesus Christ, one who has a relationship with him as Lord and Savior, that that's what we need to have ourselves so we can pass that on to the next generation. I want to look at a passage to begin this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn there. If you're old school and you've got a paper Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't, please follow along in the app. Uh, that's what I do when I'm not preaching. I follow along in the app and all of the sermon notes and all of the scriptures are there for you. Uh, you can just get that in the Oakwood app and uh, go to uh, sermon notes and you can follow along right there. We're going to begin 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. This is what it says. It's really talking to Christians here and talking about the Christian life. What are we supposed to be doing as Christians? It says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in your salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you've come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now... You're God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
I want you to pay special attention here to verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of His visitation. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners there. That word in other translations says aliens. And it's a reminder that through all of this Christian living that we're hearing about in this passage, that we are not of this world. That we are actually aliens. That we are actually sojourners. We are exiles. And that we're just passing through and that we have a home somewhere else. And that someday the true believers will be there with our Heavenly Father in our heavenly home You may say, well, what does this have to do with raising the next generation of Christians? It means we need to pass this mindset from ourselves onto the next generation, onto our children, onto our grandchildren and our nieces and our nephews. We need to teach them how to follow Christ. We need to teach them the distinctions of the Christian walk, even in a pagan world. We need to teach our kids that they're going to be different if they follow Jesus. But I'm here to tell you this morning that different people really make a difference. You see, we need to help our children trade the comfort of fitting in for the calling of standing out. And maybe before we can do that, if we're being honest, we need, as adults, to trade the comfort of fitting in for the calling of standing out. I want you to understand here that this is not a call to be a Christian weirdo. It's a call to be holy. You don't need to be a a Christian a uh, weirdo, you know, where it's like, okay, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to pull away from everything in the world. And, and if, if you're a real Christian, then you can only homeschool your kids, even though I think that's a great option in this day and age. That's not the only option out there. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, churn your own butter and sew your own clothing from scratch and ride a camel or donkey around. I mean, we're not asking you to be a Christian weirdo. We're just asking you to be set apart. We're asking that you be different from the world. And I think that we have to be okay with our kids being seen as a little bit different because they're going to be if they're following Christ completely. Because righteousness and holiness is weird in this day and age. It reminded me of the movie E.T. Anybody remember the movie E.T., the extraterrestrial? 1982, one of the highest grossing movies of all time. In the movie E.T., what is he always wanting to do? Go home, right. And what is he saying the whole movie? Phone home, phone home. He wants to talk. He wants to figure out, how do I get back to to where I'm from? And I think that mentality has to be our mentality as Christians, is that we're not of this world. We're just sojourners, the Scripture says. We're just aliens. We're just passing through this world. And so this world is not our home, and we're looking forward to a heavenly home. So we are not of this world, and so we need to constantly be thinking about, how do I get home? How do I phone home and stay connected to my heavenly Father? Interesting thing about E.T. too. Talk about that storyline that just made millions and millions of dollars and sold all these tickets and stuff. Have you ever thought about that? E.T. comes down to earth and is kind of a better form of humanity, pure, loving, better than ourselves. He's turned over the hands of evil men who kill him. And then he comes back to life. And then eventually he gets to go home up into the heavens. Not heaven, but up into the sky. Sounds like a familiar story for Christians, doesn't it? I bet you that story will sell. You know, this begs a question that I think we need to consider this morning. And this may make us a little bit uncomfortable. I think sometimes when we're uncomfortable, God does his best work. So here we go. How much of your time and your money and your decision-making 
centers around helping your kids fit into the world. How much of your time and your money and your decision just really centers around helping your kids fit into the world, to be successful in the world's eyes, that everyone will think they're cool, that everyone, you know, that they'll be totally accepted. And then why as a Christian do we feel like that's something that we need to do? Because I think there's a high cost to it. Some of us, I think we do it because of our own insecurities. We're trying to right wrongs from our past. Maybe when we were a kid, we weren't cool and, and we were nerdy or we were this and we were that. And so we're trying to make sure my kids don't have that, make sure they have better than what I had. Some of us, it may just be simply a lack of dedication to the calling of following Jesus Christ, to do and to follow his example. Some of us, it may be a loss of vision that Christians are supposed to be different and are supposed to be set apart and holy and different from the world. And sometimes I think as adults, our conformity is passed on to our kids. Romans 12, 2 talks about that. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed through mind renewal, focusing on Christ Jesus. So what I want to do today and next week is I want to share with you some ideas to consider in the area of parenting or grandparenting or being a good aunt and uncle to the children that you have influence over in your life, to that next generation that's coming up right behind you. Because as parents, we are called to be leaders in our home, and the leaders get to determine if we're going to, if we're going to go God's direction or if we're going to go the world's direction. Are we going to conform to the pattern of this world, or are we going to be a transformed home? that's going in the, in the way of Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Master. One of those areas this morning is the area of activities. Activities. When it comes to activities, a Christian child will prioritize his or her time differently than the child of an unbeliever. You're going to spend your time differently. I want you to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you're in 1 Peter, you've got to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Deuteronomy, fifth book, beginning with chapter 6, Deuteronomy 6, and beginning with verse 6. And what's happened here is God has been giving his law and telling his people, uh, the chosen people, the Israelites, how to live. And he, he comes up right before verse 6 and he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. That's how you're supposed to live as a Christian. And then we get to verse 6 and it says this, and these words that I command you today will be upon your heart. They're not going to be just something that goes in your mind, it just goes in one ear and out the other, and you're going to forget it five minutes from now. No, the words that God has given us, that we're to love him with all that we are, those are going to be on our hearts. Those are going to be something we contemplate and that we think about, and they're always going to be there with us because they're on our hearts, they're on our inner person. In verse 7, look at verse 7, it says, and you shall teach them diligently. You're going to put great effort into this. You're going to have determination to do this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You're going to teach the laws of God and the ways of God diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your, in your home, in your house. And when you walk along the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise up. In all of your family activities, you are going to remember the laws of the Lord. And then it goes on to verse 8. It says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And you shall, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And, and that you know, doesn't speak to us today like it did in this time. But the Israelites, some of them that were the most devout, and, and, and a lot of the, your Pharisees and your scribes and the rabbis, they would actually take the laws of God. They'd put them in a little box, um, and, they, and they would tie it on their wrists. And so the word was right there in their hand. They could get it out and read it and study it and memorize it all the time. Some of them uh, would, would do the same thing with like a headband on their head, and they would put Scripture in it. 
it. And so it was close to the mind. It was symbolic that I am a dedicated follower of the laws of God, and, and the Lord is my God. And then look at verse 9. It says, and you shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so the words of the Lord and the fact that you're going to love him and be dedicated to him is everywhere. It's going to be on your wrist. It's going to be on your forehead. It's going to be on your doorpost. Every doorway that you got, it's going to be on the gates as you go out into the world. And, and there's something that's very interesting here about this passage. In this era that we live today as busy, that we're so busy, that there's just this heavy, heavy uh, uh, time of busyness in our lives. It's a pretty interesting read when you read Deuteronomy 6. Because the author of Deuteronomy seems to think there will actually be times where families are in their homes together. There will actually, actually be times where families will walk through life together. It seems that they will even fall asleep at the same time and rise up at the same time because they're going to be sharing all of these experiences together. And what the passage seems to be saying is that the natural rhythm of the home that God intended was to bring the family what? Together. Together instead of spreading the family out. But today, many times, the activities we choose spread the family out. They don't bring the family together. And as Christians raising Christian kids, we are going to have to make some hard decisions about how we choose activities. We need to count the costs that other people aren't willing to count. Do you know what one of the biggest struggles is in middle school and high school students today? If you talk to school counselors, they won't talk about drugs so much or, or, or sex or alcohol, something like that. Those are the first things that come to our mind. No, they'll, they'll talk about how stressed kids are today, how they're anxious and, and, and how they're depressed, and it's from exhaustion and overscheduling. Kids are too busy, and it's starting to show. And you know where this starts, right? <laughs> we get so easily sucked in, and really, we're, it starts with complete innocence on our part. You know, what it, you know what happens. Okay, let's say you have a son. His name's Jim Bob. He's two years old. You know, he's toddling around, you know. And you, and, you, and you go to the store, you go to the community bulletin board at the library, you know, you're at the YMCA, and you see this advertisement on the board that says, hey, there's a, a tumbling class, gymnastics class, for two-year-olds. And his parents were like, dude, I don't want, you know, my kid, I mean, I heard some parents talking about this the other day, and I, I don't want my kid to be the only one, you know, I mean, he just learned to walk, you know, but, you know, I don't want to be the only one that doesn't, you know, get to do gymnastics, and so what do we do? We write the check, $120 for eight sessions, and he's going to go twice a week, and, you know, and, and, and it seems really innocent, right? You know, I mean, he just learned to walk, but cartwheels is what's next, right? You know, handstands, walking on his hands, and, and so we go, and this is what happens. At the end of that eight weeks, the, one of the instructors comes over, man, Jim Bob's a great kid. He's been doing so well, and, and man, he's just a great kid, and we're just really happy to have him, and, you know, I see, I see a lot of potential in Jim Bob. I mean, Jim Bob can walk in a straight line now. He's not toddling like he was. And, you know, um, he, man, he's doing really, really good. And, uh, you know, and, and as a parent, you're thinking, man, he's going to be in the Olympics someday. I can, <laughs> I can feel it all right. And what, what, what's the next step? Then the coach says, well, you know what? If you really want to pursue this, I mean, I know he's only two, and it you know, sounds like he's pretty young, but if you really want to pursue this, what's he going to need? Private lessons. Exactly. So several of you said it. Private lessons. Gonna need private lessons, and so you're like, oh man, well, I, man, Jim Bob's doing great, and they they see this potential in him. It 
at two, and so, you know, by the age of three, Jim's and, and, and Jim Bob's in private lessons, and, you, you know, you're writing the checks, and you're going there two or three times a week, and, 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 you know, by the age of four, you can do a cartwheel, and now he's on the national uh, traveling team for gymnastics, and, and, and they're, they're, they tell you up front, now, I'm telling you what, it's going to cost you $12,000 a year to do this, you're going to be out 40 weekends a year, um, every weekend, 40 weekends a year, you're going to be out traveling, you have to stay in a hotel, and, and drive, and food, and all this stuff, and you know, it, but, but I'm telling you what, Jim Bob has all, a whole lot of potential, and, and so, what do we do? We write the check, but we don't count the cost sometimes, because He's losing uh, just a part of his spiritual development because he's never in worship with the body of believers. He's seeing uh, something else taking priority of the time in his life, and, and we're not even talking about yet about the, the, family, the family is torn apart, right? I mean, you know, it's, you ever heard the word divide and conquer, parents? You ever use that? Hey, honey, today we're going to have to divide and conquer, okay? And Amy and I, we're outnumbered in the home. I mean, when you're parenting and you have an only child, it's two-on-one. So don't even talk to me if you got, if you got a two-on-one. You double-team. I mean, double-team. When you get two kids in the home, okay, okay, you know, now it's a man-to-man. You know, it's like, you know, but when you get three or more, you have to go to a zone. And, and that's the only way you're going to cover everything. So you divide and call, you know, you go this way, and, and you go this way, and you're going to go with her activity, and then you take him over here, and well, no, he's got practice at 7.30, and so we have to be over there, but her game's at 8, and so, you know, we've got to have to divide and conquer, honey. And, and maybe what we need to be asking is before the next activity, maybe we should consider this question. Is this level of activity more likely to help our family or hurt our family? Is this level of activity going to bring us more together? We're going to be in the home. We're going to talk about God when we sit, and when we lie down, and when we rise up, and as we go along the way. Or is it going to separate us and grow us apart? Another angle to this whole idea with activities is that we begin to define our children by what they do. Yeah, what you do is a part of you, but it doesn't define you as a person. And as, as a Christian, you are a child of God. And in Ephesians 2.10, it says that you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. And so you're not defined by your level of activity or your level of inactivity. God never commands you in Scripture to run yourself ragged with activity. You're defined by who you are in Christ Jesus. Something else that affects us that we, we don't talk about, not, maybe not very many people know about. I didn't think about this, but I, the physical effects of overactivity on our kids. I talked to some college coaches or volleyball coaches in college, basketball coaches in college. A very interesting conversation because well, one of the basketball coaches coaches a girls team, and he said, I can plan on two uh, blown-out ACLs a year. I mean, I, I recruit girls, I give scholarships to 12 of them, and two of them are going to blow out a knee this year. And I said, like, how, how do you know that? He's like, it happens every year. Because it didn't happen like 20 years ago, but today, I can just guarantee you, you know, they're, they're, he's like, they have played so much basketball that by the time they get to me when they're 18 years old, their joints, their knees, and their shoulders, and their ankles, their hips, they're, they're, they're like 50-year-olds. Because they've been running ragged, they've been on, you know, and, and, and they've been on this traveling team since they were six years old, and so they've played all of these hours and all these things, and their skill level is great, but their bodies can't handle it anymore. And I need them to do my workouts. I need them to have the hours to put in on me, and a lot of times we're now having to dial that back because their bodies just can't take it, because they're like a bunch of old people and they're 18 years old. 
It's so bad to the point, he said, that I'm not so impressed as I used to be when I interview a family with, a, with someone who's trying to get on my team with a scholarship. And they start out by saying, well, she's been playing traveling, you know, uh, traveling basketball since she was, you know, three years old. He's like, a lot of times, all that says to me is, she's going to blow out an ACL. He says, I'm more likely to give credence to a family that comes in and said, she didn't start playing until her sophomore year. I'm like, hey, we got a lot of miles on those legs and those hips and those shoulders and those elbows that we could go. Those girls don't get injured. But the girls that get injured is because they got a million miles on them. He's more likely to give a scholarship to a kid who didn't play on a traveling team for 15 years before he got to see him. I think it's kind of interesting because we think in our heart is to give our kids every advantage, right? We want to see them successful in the world. We want to see, we want to see that they're, they're doing you know, great things and they're having the success and we want to give them all of the opportunities that we can. But at what cost? Is it costing us their spiritual foundation in their, in their life because we're choosing activities and competitions over Sunday morning worship? Bob Russell, who spoke last week, who was asked to meet with pastors from all over Kentucky in a, in a, in a state convention of, of pastors. And they were discussing the increasing problem of the decreasing commitment to church attendance on Sundays. And they identified the number one competition for Sunday morning worship with families today is youth sports. Really? I mean, that sounds trivial to me. That, that the one that saves you, that holds your eternity in his hand, that you would give up a time of expressing love and adoration for his sacrifice to hit a ball or to kick a ball or to dance or to tumble. It just sounds so trivial, doesn't it, when you put it in perspective like that. And yet, that's the way it seems to be a problem today. And it's not just in Kentucky, and maybe in Oklahoma as well. You can go on to other things too. When was the last time you had a family dinner where you sat down, the whole family at a table together? I heard on this podcast that talked about family dinners that said this, if family dinners are habitually missed, you're actually putting your kids into a higher risk category for risky behaviors like drugs, sex, alcohol, and even crime. That family dinners at least three nights a week where the family actually sits down, shares a meal together, and talks together. They communicate together when they lie down and when they go along their way. They're together and they communicate and they talk about life and they talk about values. Those are absolutely critical to a child's de development. And if you're wanting to know how to be different and how to be set apart from the world, maybe you need to just make Meals with your family, a top priority. Now parents, I know some of this is going to be a shock for you, but you are the parents, which means that you are the leaders in your home. Which means you're the ones that are charged by God to develop your children and to steer them in the right direction in their lives. You are the decision makers and your kids are not. That's why you're called the parent. Now, sometimes today, I see parents thinking, well, they're going to have to get out in that world, and they're going to have to make decisions on their own. And so, I know, I know little Jim Bob here is only one and a half, but I'm going to start letting him choose what he wants to wear. Jim Bob doesn't know what he wants to wear. Jim, Jim Bob probably wants to run around naked, honestly. 
to put a diaper on that boy. He just run around everywhere like that. And so, you know, we're giving them these choices. Well, do you, oh, oh, wait, wait, do you want to wear this or this? They don't care. Put some clothes on them. Be a parent, make some decisions. Now, that's an easy one. We can pick on clothes. What about food choices? You know, well, little Jim Bob, he doesn't really, he doesn't really like carrots. He really likes M&M's. And, well, duh. I mean, who doesn't like M&M's? But we don't give them a choice when they sit down. Oh, would you like carrots or would you rather have M&M's? You know, we laugh and it seems absurd. But they're not old enough and their brains are not fully developed enough to make good decisions. And did you know that, that children's brains are not fully developed until they're 25 years old? New research says 25 years old. And so if your kids are making some poor choices, some bad decisions, stuff, just, just, just say to yourself, hey, their brain's not fully developed yet. I say that to my girls all the time. It's okay. Your brain's not fully developed yet. What about, what about the spiritual experience of your kids? Some of us give our, the, our kids and maybe even our teens the option. Do you want to go to church today? You, do you want to go to youth group? Oh, you don't like youth group. You don't, you don't like Sunday school. You don't, you don't like church. Well, you know, you don't ask your kids that. You're the parent. You're the one God put in charge. You're to steer them in the way they should go. Steer the direction of their life. Don't leave it up to them. They don't know what's best for them, just like you didn't when you were a child. And parents, we've got to quit giving our kids these choices. You know, if you really gave them the choice, hey, do you want to go work out after school, you know, in the heat for two hours so you can get better at baseball? No, they don't want to, but what do you do? You make them go. You're on the team, you're going to go. Guess what? They're on God's team too, and they need to go. And I'm telling you what, most parents, if you asked them, do you think youth group would be good for your kid? What would they say? Yes, absolutely. It'd be, yeah, probably would really help them spiritually. Then why are you not making them go to youth group? Why are you not making them come to church? When did that ever become an option for a believer to say, oh, we'll worship God when it's convenient. We'll worship God and come together corporately when it's convenient. We read scriptures in the Bible that says, do not give up the habit of assembling together. And all the more as you see the day approaching, because God knows you're going to need each other when the day approaches. And so we need to not forsake the gathering together. And we need to make it a priority in our, in our lives so it's a priority in our kids' lives. When it comes to activities, a Christian child will prioritize his or her time differently than the child of an unbeliever. And they may even dial it back a bit, maybe even stay home sometimes. The second area, other than activities, another area, is when it comes to the area of speech. When it comes to speech, a Christian child will talk differently than other children. You're just going to hear them talk, and it's not going to sound like everybody else in the world. It's going to sound different. 1 Timothy 4.12 says this, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. James 1.26 says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and, not, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You see, parents, we've got to watch our speech in the home because our kids are listening literally to every word we say. And it forms their language and their pattern of relating to other humans as they grow up. If you want to, to, to hear what you sound like, just listen to your kids. 
You see, we need to teach our kids to be kind, to use kind words, and to be marked by love. Ephesians 4.29 puts it this way. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I like the way the NIV translation puts it. The same verse, Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that is, which is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit all who hear it. You know, some homes are filled with such sarcasm and cynicism and negativity from parents that if you heard that same sarcasm come out of your kid's mouth, it, it would probably be embarrassing to you. And a lot of times if you think about sarcasm, sarcasm can kind of be a form of verbal bullying because sarcasm almost always has a victim. And when we use it with our kids who are already at a disadvantage developmentally, it produces horrible results that sometimes will go with them right into their young adulthood. And so we have to watch our example in our vocabulary. We have to watch what we teach But even more importantly, I think as parents, we need to model Christian language in the home. Now, I want you to notice, I'm not even going to touch on foul language or negative talk this morning. But we need to teach our kids pure words. We need to teach our kids words of reconciliation like this. I'm sorry. I had a kid yesterday step on my foot. Teenage boy stepped on my foot. And he goes, oh, my bad. Okay, he acknowledged, he, you know, I don't know that he was bad. It was an accident, you know. But I was just thinking, man, what happened to, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, my bad. Walk off. What happened to words of reconciliation like, I forgive you? Words of prayer and words of praise to God. Train them in mannerly words like, please. Think about the last time from a younger generation you heard the word, please. Or how about the word, thank you? These seem to be lost in vocabularies today. Let's take it to a whole nother level. Let's say, hey, what about yes, ma'am, or yes, sir? Or about how, how about addressing somebody as Mr. or Mrs.? You see, when you do this, you're not just teaching your kids to be good, polite, little American citizens. You're ultimately teaching them to have respect for the elderly and the authorities in their life. And this is how the Bible says a Christian should speak. Now this morning, these are just two areas where we need to develop Christ-likeness in our kids. And I'm going to share some more with you next week. But as we close this morning, I have something I want you to consider as an adult. The Bible says to train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old they will not veer far from it. It's interesting because it says when they're old. (laughs) There might be a time where they're immature or their brains aren't fully developed yet. They might make a poor choice. But if you'll train them up from the time they're young and the way they should go, when they're old, they're going to remember. They're going to remember the love of Jesus. They're going to remember what it feels like to do something good for someone else. They're going to know what it feels like to be a generous person and a person that doesn't have to be foul to get attention. Train up a child in the way they should go and they will not veer far from it. But I want to tell you this morning, you cannot 
train up a child in the way they should go if you're not willing to move that direction yourself. And I'm wondering if maybe some of our parenting crisis problem is because we're not moving that direction ourselves. We want our kids to. We know it'd be good for them. We know it's probably what's best for them. But are we moving that direction ourselves? Because sometimes your example is the example of Christ that they're going to see every day in their lives. My oldest daughter is 16 years old now, and she loves it when I tell stories about her in the sermon. So she told me, Dad, it means so much to me. I love it so much. So, yeah. But I remember when she was about three years old, we had thunderstorms, uh, severe thunderstorms roll through. And uh, I remember it was really loud, noisy, you know, the thunder rolls and it shakes the windows in the house. And she's scared. We figured she's going to get up out of bed. This is a pretty loud one and it's, it's hammering. And so she gets out of bed, comes by us. We go take her back to the bedroom. And I always told my kids, because I, I believe this as a kid, I always told my kids that when the thunder rolls like that, that God's moving his furniture in heaven. He's just sliding his couch. And so, you know, wow, he's dragging that recliner all over the place, you know. <laughs> Don't be scared. I mean, God's in all, through all, he's over all. And even when you hear loud claps of thunder that shake the windows, don't be scared. It's just, it's God's in control. I remember telling her as we're trying to get back to bed and get back to sleep and the thunder keeps coming. And we told her, you know, you need to pray. You really need to, you know, talk to God. He's with you. You have no reason to be scared. He's always with you. And he's always gonna, gonna be with you and protect you. And, and so, you know, you're instilling those seeds of faith in the kids. And I remember Maddie's little retort back to me was, well, dad, but sometimes... I need someone with skin on. And you know what? I think she's right. And sometimes we need to be Jesus to our kids with skin on. And we need to be an example. And we need to be ones that they see our love for Jesus. And they see our commitment to Jesus. And it puts them in a certain direction in their life. Right at the end of the first service, had someone come down, a mother of several children, and her youngest is 23. And she, she was in tears, and she just shared with me, I, I can't do anything about it now. I have all these regrets. And back when my kids were little, I didn't think soccer was a bad thing. But I realize now that I pull them out of church so much that their church attendance today reflects the priority I made for spiritual development when they were younger. I just want to encourage you this morning to really consider your level of commitment to God over the activities of this world. Because soccer, baseball, dancing, gymnastics, all those activities are not bad. But when those activities become the main thing in your life, and it starts bumping other activities like family time, spiritual development in the home, spiritual development in the church. I think we did a series called American Idols. It becomes an idol when a good thing becomes the main thing in your life. And there's hope for you this morning because for many of you, there's still time. And so I'm going to ask you this morning to confess that to the Lord, to repent, to turn away from it. And to, to today, like when you get home today at lunch with your family, you can chart a new course. You can set a new direction in your life.